0: you have given us what we need that we know that in you we can face all things but God so often we forget that so God I pray that what happens today is that we would hear from you we would be reminded from your word of your great power for us and that it would strengthen our souls to remember that it is is indeed well in you in Jesus name we pray amen so we're going to get to the end of the book of Philippians today. All summer long, we've been walking through this book of Philippians, and we're going we're to finish up chapter 4 today. Although, you might be thinking, oh no, I, I intended to read the book of Philippians, and now it's too late. Well, you're in luck, because we've got one more week. Next week, we're going to do a summary of the whole book of Philippians. So in fact... Next week would be the ideal week for you to to really dig into this book, to really ask the questions, what is this whole book of Philippians about anyways? What are some things that I need to apply from it? What are some key themes? So I encourage you, this week, if you haven't done it yet, and and if you want to do it even more still, to be reading the book of Philippians and, and letting God himself show you what this wonderful book is about. And so much of the book of Philippians is about our minds. One of the things that I've realized as an action point from the book of Philippians is that one of the things that we really need to be doing is to be training our minds to be thinking the right way about how we go through life. That's why the theme of my sermon today is the right mindset. It's so easy for our minds to get off track. And when our minds get off track, it's so often that they go to things that are meaningless or worse, destructive. So what we need to do is to train our minds to focus on Christ. And as we do that, as we set our minds on Christ, God actually transforms us to make us more like Christ. In Philippians 3.10, which is, I think, probably one of the key passages in Philippians, probably verses 8 through 14 there. In Philippians 3.10, it talks about knowing Christ and becoming like Him. That's our goal. We seek to know Christ and we trust that God will transform us in that process. So in today's passage, what we're going to do is we're going to see a few more things that we need to do to train our minds to think in the right way. So first we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, and then I'm going to read verses 14 through 19, but I'm actually going to skip over those for my sermon today because in a couple of months, we're going to do a one-year anniversary of our capital campaign, and I'm going to do one sermon on giving, and I'm going to do it from this passage. I'm going to skip over those verses, and then I'll end by looking at verses 20 through 23. And just a little bit of context, again, about the book of Philippians. In many ways, this book, this letter, is a thank you note from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. See, Paul was a missionary who often traveled all around, and he relied on support from local churches. And we know from Scripture that the Philippians were one of those faithful, supporting churches. So in some ways, this is Paul's letter saying, hey, thank you for your gift. That's what we're going to see when we, in verse 10. We're going to see Paul rejoicing in the gift. Now, the Philippians, we know, sent a monetary gift with Epaphroditus. He was one of the guys who lived there. They sent a gift with him. And it sounds like the Philippians would have liked to have been able to give more or even more often, but the difficulties of geography just made that impossible. So when Paul talks about them not being able or not having the opportunity, that's what it's talking about. So this is a church that was supporting Paul, and Paul is thankful for their partnership. So verses 10 to 13, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want I can do everything through him who gives me strength this section starts off with Paul rejoicing and specifically it looks like he rejoiced when he received this gift that the Philippians sent He was joyful that his friends partnered with him in the work of the gospel. So here is Paul once again showing a pattern of rejoicing. At least three times in this book he has commanded us to rejoice, and now as his way of life he's setting the pattern that he was one who rejoiced. So this is one of those things that we need to set our minds on. We're talking about today training our minds to think about the right things. One of the things we should be training our minds to do is to rejoice. So when things go well, you turn to God and say, God, thank you for what you've done. And and when things are difficult, even as we've we've prayed about the nation of Syria today, even when things are difficult, we still trust that God is in control and and we thank him for who he is. Joy, rejoicing joy, it means acknowledging that God is in control, trusting that he loves you and will take care of you, and we're grateful because of that. So Paul was grateful for this monetary gift, grateful for God's provision. But then Paul went on to say something peculiar. He he basically says that he's not just happy because he received money. He says there, I'm not saying this because I am in need, which is kind of an odd thing to say. I was a, a supported missionary for six years. And, and rarely did I ever say to people, oh, don't worry, you know, I'm, I'm not in need. Usually, if you're talking to your supporters, you say, yeah, you know, I've got this and this that I could use some money for. But Paul said, it's, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He was thankful for the money, but it wasn't like he was in despair without the money. And from an earthly point of view, Paul was in need. In fact, Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter. And oftentimes what you'll see in commentaries is that they'll remind you that in prison in those days, it wasn't like you showed up at the cafeteria three times a day for a square meal. Oftentimes the prison wouldn't provide any food for the prisoners at all, and they would have to rely on outsiders to bring them food. Elsewhere, Paul spoke about his physical needs. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 11 through 13, this is speaking about one moment in his life, he said, "...to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty." We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Now, does that sound like a guy to you that had all he needed? But here's the key. Paul had trained his mind not to worry about those things. Remember what we looked at last week, last Sunday, when we looked at Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, and Paul's command there was, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Paul's way of life was that instead of worrying about those things that he could have very easily worried about, instead he brought them to God in prayer with thanksgiving and trusted that God would take control. So it's very possible that according to the standards of this world that yes, Paul may have been in need yet he said he wasn't in need So was he lying? No, he was content And content I think is the key word in these verses that we've looked at so far Let me just stop here and ask you a question What causes you not to be content? Ingratitude. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, I was trying to think, what are what are some things for us that could cause us not to be content? I think in general, the reason is that it's when we don't get what we want. Usually, hey, I, I'm getting what I want. Everything's good. But then when I don't get what I want, all of a sudden the complaining comes. Or the pity party. So being... A, a lack of contentment comes from getting what we don't want. And for me, when I often think of discontentment in my life, I think of a season in my life, in my 20s, um, and I've mentioned it before here in my preaching, I'll say it again, when I was single and didn't want to be, when I was just hoping that my wife was going to come around that next corner, but uh, there were a lot of corners that I had to go around first, it turned out. And in my life, that led to a lot of discontentment. and And... Trust me, I have nobody to blame but myself in this, for being discontent at least. Um, but this world and the sinful nature will tempt us to be discontent when things don't go our way. Can we all agree with that? That when we don't get what we want, there is this part of us, inside of us, that wants to just cry out and say, hey, something's wrong here. And we want to whine about it. So what is it for you? Is it relationships? Difficult relationship. Is it finances? Is it something at work or at school? Something that you're not getting that you want? See, contentment means being okay with what you have. Contentment, now actually, contentment was something that was highly valued in Paul's day. In the Greco-Roman society where Paul was living, contentment was something that was highly valued. People would speak in lofty terms of it, saying... I'm content. And what they meant by that was, I am able to take care of my own needs. I don't have to rely on anybody else. I am self-sufficient. I can do what I need to do. So Paul took their word for contentment, but he changed it. You see, for Paul, being content didn't mean I can do this myself. For Paul, contentment meant I can do this in Christ. So one theologian, and this is really great, he noted that He changed contentment from self-sufficiency to Christ-sufficiency. So instead of looking at ourselves and saying, I can get myself through this, we look to Christ and say, yes, he can get me through this. And for Paul, this was something he learned. I love this. In verse 11, it says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I was struck by that word learned this week, because contentment is not something that we have naturally within ourselves. Contentment is not something that you are born with. Look at any baby who cries, or, or any older kid that cries, or, or yourself when things don't go your way. Contentment is not something that is natural for us. So what Paul said here is that he learned contentment. Now, I'm not going to say that I've learned everything that there is to learn about contentment. But I will say that I learned a lesson. I remember one of the worst nights of my discontentment. So again, think back to my, my single years, and I'm, you know, 25, 26, and uh, I remember one of the worst nights in particular. I, I, I went into my bedroom, and, and it was just going terrible. And I, I, I basically I was angry with God. And if you would have asked me, I wouldn't have used those words because I would have known to use different words to try to cover it up a little bit. But basically, I was angry and discontent with God. And, and I knew that that was wrong so I, I opened up my Bible and I opened up to a verse that almost uh, my first reaction to it was that it enraged me even more it talked about God giving us the desires of our heart and I just looked at that verse and the first thought in my mind was are you kidding me? are you, are you kidding me? you are gonna give me the... yeah that's the way it's been going in my life that, that's, that was the first thought that ran through my mind but the second thought, praise the Lord that ran through my mind was this idea that wait a second It is true. I I was faced that night with a dilemma. Either I had to believe that God loved me or he didn't. Either I had to believe that God cared for me or he didn't. That God's word was true or that it wasn't. And as I looked at that one verse and I I had a difficult time seeing how it was true in my life, praise the Lord, I came to the point where I made a commitment to trust in God. that, That yes, he did still love me. Yes, he did still care for me and had good plans for me. And I think that our, our discontentment comes from a wrong view of things in there. We we can be pretty needy people, pretty demanding people. When we don't get our way, it's all too easy to go to God and say, God, you're the one who's doing this. How come? See, contentment is something that we need to learn and I'm not going to say that I've, I've learned perfect contentment but I will say I think that the tide shifted that evening when I made that commitment to say okay God I'm going to take you at your word anyways in spite of the way that I'm feeling I'm going to trust you that you're in control and that you do care for me so contentment again is something that we need to learn it doesn't come naturally in verse 12 I love this Paul called it a secret he's like come here guys I've got something to tell you There's a secret. For Paul, it meant that whether he had enough food or not, or whether he had enough money or not, he could be content. So what is the secret? Well, it's verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. See, the the secret is that God will strengthen us. And when will God strengthen us? Well, look at the words from verses 11 through 13. In 11, whatever the circumstances... In verse 12, in any and every situation, and in verse 13, everything. Paul learned that he could face whatever God would allow him to face because of the strength of Christ. And here's how I like to put it. If I have Christ, I have enough. I remember in that season of my life, going through the real difficult time, and then having that, that moment with God, Right? I just made the commitment that I would trust that he was looking out for my best interest. Very shortly after that, I remember going to a conference and singing the song Enough, the song that we just sang. And I remember rejoicing in my soul in those words saying, God, all of you is more than enough. Have you trained your soul to get to that point? When things don't go the way that you want them to go, have you trained your soul to remember that God is enough? that God will strengthen you in any and every situation. The secret of contentment is knowing to depend on the Lord in everything. The secret of contentment is knowing that God has the power to do exactly what He wants to do in our lives and in our circumstances. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.19 that we would know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. There's something that we don't know about God. We might think that we know it, but we forget that God's in control and that he is powerful enough to do all that he wants to do. And the result of that in our lives should be contentment. I'm okay with what God is doing in my life because he is God, because he loves me, and he'll strengthen me for whatever he wants. So how do you respond when you don't get what you want? Or when you're in need? Or when you have far too many things that are piling up on your plate and you feel like you're at your wit's end? How do you respond? Do you throw a pity party? Again, pity is just one of the many faces of pride. Pity is me saying, I don't have what I want and I'm going to let God know about it. How do you respond? The Greco-Roman response was to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and say, I can do this. I can get myself through this. I am self-sufficient. Maybe some of you are tempted to be that way. But the answer is not self-sufficiency. It is Christ-sufficiency, looking to him and saying, okay, if God's allowing me to go through this, he'll also strengthen me to go through it. And here's where I just have to mention. I think a lot of people misunderstand verse 13. A lot of people take verse 13 to assume that they can do whatever they want to do. I wonder how many times Philippians 4:13 has been mon- mentioned in a sports huddle or a, a pre-game pep talk. I can do everything. I can do this. We can, we can beat that number one seed. I just am not exactly sure that that's what that's saying. I think rather the right way to interpret verse 13 is that we can do whatever God wants us to do it's not whatever I want to do we can do whatever God wants us to do so let me just summarize this secret of contentment and just throw a few thoughts together here contentment doesn't mean that we pretend we don't want something okay let's just get that off the table right away I remember people used to say to me oh just just stop wanting a wife and then God will give one to you no no I never did slap somebody in the face when they said that, but uh, (laughs) only the grace of the Lord. (laughs) You see, and the reason I say that is because, can you picture the Apostle Paul being hungry, and then all of a sudden somebody provides food for him? Do you think Paul would say, oh, no, thank you. I'm content without food. I, I don't need it. No, I think what Paul would have done would have said, thank you for that food. He would have said, thank you, God, for providing this food, and he would have enjoyed it. It didn't mean that Paul wasn't hungry. It meant that Paul was okay being hungry because he knew that God could strengthen him in that. So contentment is not a lack of desire. Contentment flies in the face of desire. And it says, even though I desire this thing that I don't have, I'm going to be content and I'll trust in God. Contentment means being okay with what God provides and it means being okay even if you don't get what you want. And that's a secret that I want you all to learn. I want to keep learning that one as well. God will take care of our needs. Jesus promised as much in Matthew 6 in that passage where Jesus said, don't worry. He promised us that if we look to God first and his kingdom and his righteousness, that all these things will be given to you as well. Talking about food and clothing. See, we have a God who loves us and cares for us. We can be content in him. Will you learn this lesson, this secret of contentment? Don't let your desires consume your thoughts. I think it's all too easy for us when we're feeling discontent to think only about our desires. And where does that lead to? Disappointment or worry. Discontentment for sure. But instead, trust that God loves you and will take care of you. I think that's the key here for contentment. I want to say that again. Instead, trust that God loves you and will take care of you. Contentment comes right there. And trust me, your life will be better with contentment. In 1 Timothy 6.6 6 it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So contentment is one of the other things that we need to train our minds to do, to be content okay like I said now I want to move on to verses 14 through 19 and I'm just going to read these but I'm not going to preach on them because I'll preach on them later this year I just want to read them though because we've read the rest of Philippians so we have to read these as well yet it was good of you to share in my troubles moreover as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel when I set out from Macedonia not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only for even when I was in Thessalonica you sent me aid again and again when I was in need Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Just one comment there from verse 19. Here's people who gave away their money, and what Paul said to them is, My God will meet all your needs. Just getting back to contentment again, that's who God is. We give our lives to him, and and he meets all our needs. Okay, then verses 20 to 23. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And that's pretty cool, by the way, that the gospel made it into Caesar's household. We might think of the government as being... And in Paul's day, it was pretty oppressive and anti-Christian. But even even in that environment, the power of the gospel penetrated in, and there were saints in Caesar's household. That's pretty cool. Then verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay, from these three verses, I want to point out three important G words. First one is glory. That's from verse 20, where Paul reminds us to give glory to God. And remember, he's talking about how God is going to meet our needs and with riches lavished on us. The theologian Gordon Fee says, when one thinks of God's riches lavished on us in Christ Jesus, what else is there to do but praise and worship? We catch this glimpse of God and really, what can we do but worship? Now, glory is in some ways a very difficult word to, to describe or to understand. Try it at home. Try to come up with a definition for the word glory. It's kind of hard to do. But on the other hand, it's actually kind of easy to understand. So on the one hand, glory is hard to understand because it's a word that describes God and His magnificence and, and His glory in that sense is immeasurable. How could we even begin to comprehend it? But on the other hand, it's easy to understand that God is magnificent and that God is worthy of praise so that we are to give him glory because of how good and magnificent he is. And that's what giving God glory means is simply recognizing him for who he is and then living our lives accordingly, responding with thankfulness and praise and obedience and adoration. And giving God glory really stems for us from the gospel message. Think about the gospel message, the message that we are sinners and that God knows that full well, yet that he loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. It's a message of complete forgiveness. It's a message of eternal life and it's a message of a relationship with God and that is a glorious message and when we set our hearts and our minds on it, the response should be to give God glory for this wonderful message. Glory, then, is what we were created to give to God. Richard Mellick calls giving God glory the ultimate purpose of life. You're wondering, who am I, why am I here? Well, one of the great reasons you're here is to give glory to God. And that means praising Him, worshiping Him. It means spending time with Him. I think that sometimes we get this picture that glory and worship is just what we do and we're singing, but it's way more than that. It's what we do when we open our Bibles and and let God speak to us. It's what we do when we pray in a quiet room. It's what we do when we obey God. It's what we do when we serve by doing the dishes. Giving glory to God is something that really should consume our whole lives. So what are you doing to give glory to God? again it's what we are created for so if that's what you are created for you should be able to answer the question then what are you doing to give glory to God the Westminster Shorter Catechism says it like this what is the chief end of man man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever so yeah it's our job to glorify God so what are you doing to glorify him ask yourself that throughout your day today even as you're watching a football game God what am I doing to glorify you as you're playing with your kids as you're reading a book God what am I doing to glorify you and I like how that Westminster Catechism question and answer it also throws enjoying God in there because really that's that's the best way to give God glory is to be with him in his presence and to enjoy him so let's glorify God second G word is greetings and this comes from verses 21 to 22 and by the way the word saints in there basically anytime you see that word saints in the Bible it's a word that means holy ones and it's not just talking about those very few people in history who did it really well it's talking about all of us who have come to know Jesus Christ and have been cleansed by the blood of Christ we're made holy and it's all too easy to gloss over these greetings here because we don't know these people but think about what these greetings represented for these people. Represented fellowship. And fellowship is super important in our lives. It's too easy to think about our walk with God just in terms of me and God. Or maybe you've heard people say, "You know, I I want to worship God, but when I get around other people, you know, we just get in each other's way, and I'd rather just have it be me and God." Some people have stopped going to church for that very reason, assuming that they're better off. But let me say it this way, you are not better off just with you and God. I mean, yes, there are certain times in our walk with God where we're supposed to get just by ourselves, but not at the expense of our fellowship with others. We're supposed to do both of them and keep that right balance. Your walk will suffer if you don't maintain good fellowship with other believers. And yeah, sometimes it gets sticky. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 4 where Paul tried to put out a little fire between two women who couldn't get along. But even if it's difficult please know that your walk with God is better in fellowship with other people. So are you actively engaging with other believers? One of the ways to apply this, and I'm just going to give another plug for this, is our small group Bible studies here at Cornerstone. We're going to have five of them starting up very soon. And I want to urge you to be a regular part of one of those small group Bible studies. Because it will be a place for you not only to open up God's word and learn from it, but to do that in community with other people. To, to be sharing your prayer requests. To be rejoicing when God answers your prayer requests. To be spurred on by each other. And to do your part in spurring others on. So I want to encourage you to be part of one of those small group Bible studies when they start then our third G word here is grace in verse 23 and again it's easy to gloss over the word grace because Paul uses it so often especially at the beginning and ending of his letters but why did Paul so often do that because he wanted people to know grace the word grace means gift or kindness it talks about God's gift to us God's wonderful mercy to us the fact that he loves us and that we can live in his power and in his strength God has given us many wonderful things that we should constantly remember and give him thanks for. And as we do that, we live in God's grace and we experience blessing from him. Okay, so we're almost done here. One last little thing that I want to point out. Paul doesn't just end his word with grace. In verse 23 he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. For Paul, everything about the Christian life is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've often said during this sermon series that Jesus Christ is the key, key character, the key theme in the book of Philippians. I, I said at the beginning, 39 times, either by name or by title, Jesus Christ is mentioned. And that's not in counting the, the pronouns like him or he. Now, next week we're going to do a summary on the book of Philippians, but today I just want to do something to kind of put a nice bow on Philippians for the day. Uh, I'll use Gordon Fee's words again. The whole letter, from beginning to end and everywhere in between, focuses on Christ. So, I want to wrap it up this way. I've been talking to you today about training your minds to think about certain things, about rejoicing, about being content, about giving God glory, about living in God's grace. But I want you to do all of those things in Christ. The reason we can rejoice is because of Christ the reason we can be content is because of the the strength that God provides us in Christ. The reason we can give glory to God is because in Christ we, we certainly see God to be glorious. The reason we can have grace, the reason we can have fellowship is because of the blessings poured out to us in Jesus Christ. So everything comes back to Christ and what we should be doing is training our minds to focus on Christ And as we focus on Christ, God transforms us and we become more and more like him. So we can thrive and flourish because of the fact that Christ is with us. So let's train our minds to dwell on Christ and let God do his transformational work in us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this message that you have given us about these wonderful things that we can set our minds on. I pray that we would be people who rejoice, that we would recognize that we have so many things to be thankful for. I pray also that we would be people who are content, that we would be okay with what you have given us, and that we would trust in your strength to get us through. God, help us to remember that you care about us. And God, I pray that we would give you glory, that as we look to Christ, we would be thankful and would worship you with our whole lives. I pray that we would have great fellowship with Christ in our midst. And I pray that we would live in grace, receiving it from you and extending that grace to others as well. So God, teach us how to focus on Christ, to dwell on him. And God, we pray that as we do that, that you would transform us and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.